Well, it's the third Sunday of Advent, and as we have done in the previous Sundays, we uh, light candles representing different aspects or attributes uh, of the Christmas season um, that we have in mind and that Christ brings to us. So two weeks ago, we lit the candle of hope as Christ is the hope of the nations. Last week, we lit the candle of peace as Christ himself is our Prince of Peace. And today, on this third Sunday, we light the candle of joy. Jesus Christ, who is our song of joy. We light this candle in joy, the joy that Christ brings to the world. Prepare then the way of the Lord. Let's have a quick prayer. Father, Lord, as we uh, come into this time, we remember the great joy that we have in Christ, uh, a joy that uh, overcomes the world, a joy that overcomes our sadness and our struggle. May we be filled with the joy that comes uh, supernaturally, that comes from outside of us, comes regardless of our experiences and our circumstances, but comes because uh, you are God and you love us greatly with great grace um, and mercy in Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I doubt any of us are going to look back on 2020 and declare, as Isaiah declares in his passage today, this has been the year of the Lord's favor. I can't imagine any of us will look fondly upon this year with incredible memories. And I say that as a dad who just welcomed a second child this year. Now, of course, I am overjoyed. I am moved every time I see little Naomi and I get to cradle her in my arms. It's, it's an incredible blessing. But at the same time, all the hardship and the suffering that not only my family has gone through, but uh, knowing how many others are going through such a difficult time has made it hard to have a sense of overwhelming joy this year. Now, maybe you don't just agree with this idea or the idea that this could possibly be the year of God's favor, but maybe this year has made you question if God shows any favor at all, if God is worth worshiping, if he's worth trusting trusting or following. And my hope today is to encourage you to remember that in Jesus, God's favor still rests upon us. That despite how terrible things are, how dark our circumstances might be, Advent reminds us that God has not abandoned us nor forsaken us. And instead, Advent tells us God has drawn near He continues to draw near, and he remains with us. And he is our only one true joy that can be found in this time. You know, the striking aspects of Isaiah 61, it's it's amazing how powerful a a message of deliverance this is. You know, the prophet Isaiah, who's anointed by the Spirit of God, he announces this massive reversal of fortune to come. This beautiful, sweeping, powerful vision of oppressors being overthrown and the flourishing of God's people. Now, in that, remember in that time, the context in which Isaiah is speaking into, Israel was a divided kingdom, north and south, and oppressed by all kinds of foreign invaders, uh, Assyria and Babylon and, and various others. 
And so Isaiah's proclamation was a promise to the people of Israel that things will not always be this way. They will not remain this way, but there is a restoration, a transformation to come, and that God will bring it about. And it speaks of various aspects of what that might look like. It speaks of a restoration of justice, which I'm sure resonates for many of us, uh, especially in light of everything that's happened this year. 2020 was not marked simply by a pandemic, but by outrage over various forms of injustice, whether it's racism, whether it's police brutality, whether it's issues on uh, the stay-at-home orders issued by our government, or whether one should wear a mask or not, even the questions that people have of election fraud. The issues of justice matter greatly in this year, and they've overshadowed all of our conversations apart from coronavirus. And Isaiah addresses this. He speaks to these issues of justice in, in, in this chapter 61, saying that all who are unjustly oppressed shall be free. That this vision of what God will bring to Israel and to all future uh, descendants is this picture of that those who are oppressed will find justice served. In, in verse 8, it talks about how God loves justice, that the wronged will receive the recompense talks about economic restoration, how it's good news to the poor that they, um, that they will receive a double portion. And that's good news, especially if perhaps you are feeling some financial strain this year because of cutbacks in your job or even having lost your job. And I know for some of us, we've had to make difficult lifestyle choices uh, and rearrange our priorities that have made it really hard to get through from week to week or even day by day. Isaiah 61 speaks of social restoration. It talks about um, how there is a promise of the rebuilding of these places, how ruins are built back up, right? And the places that God loves will uh, be restored. And you think about if you've ever gone through a drive uh, in any of the big cities during this time and how empty, like ghost towns, they can be in a lot of ways. And you hear of some beloved restaurants or businesses that you loved going to, that are now being forced to shut down. And you think about how the vision of Isaiah 61 in the social sense is not coming true in the world we're in right now. It even speaks to those who are emotionally affected. Maybe you've suffered unspeakable loss. You've lost a loved one. Maybe you've had high hopes and dreams for this year and they were dashed. Or maybe you're just struggling through isolation and separation and that has exacerbated your fear or your depression. And Isaiah says, and he proclaims this promise that the brokenhearted will be bound up and those who mourn will be comforted. So what we see in Isaiah 61, even if we don't perhaps experience it right now, what we see is a promise that when God restores, when God transforms, when God comes to redeem and to change all things, he does not, he's not a God of half measures, but he's a God who, when he promises his blessing, when he promises a restoration, it is full-fledged. It is comprehensive. And that when he gives his divine favor, when it rests upon those he chooses to have it rest upon, it is abundant and it is extravagant. And this is why when Isaiah says in verse 10, in light of all this picture 
of, of uh, the restoration of Israel and in, in the uh, recovery of what has been lost and God's blessing over the people that he can then say in verse 10 and 11 that in trusting in this promise to come that Israel can have joy everlasting. That it's possible to have a joy that is eternal. Imagine having that joy now. A lot of us have struggled to have that joy now. Imagine having that joy now in 2020. A joy that rests not in having everything work out for you because life is living up to all your expectations because Lord knows this year has not lived up to any expectation. But a joy that cannot be stolen away because of the difficulties of life. An eternal joy that sorrow nor anger can never quench. That type of joy at work and at rest in our hearts. You know, the reality is we often think that these, this type of happiness can only come at the expense of others or in competition with others. You know, we, were, we are uh, optimistic and perhaps excited about the idea of a vaccine coming and how that might possibly bring joy to some of us that we can go back to life as normal. But the reality is, is there's a limited number of that, right? And so there will be poor communities and, and countries that will not be able to live the way we get to live if we have a set of vaccines ready. And so others will suffer at the expense of us recovering whatever element of joy of normalcy, of normal life that we want. You know, even thinking about this election and how some of us might be joyful about the election results, and yet the reality is there's a whole half of the country that has now gone into profound, deep worry and fear because of these election results. And so very often our happiness, it's, it's not as long-lasting and it's not as real because it changes and it also comes at the expense of others. No, true True joy cannot be circumstantial or experiential, but it must be relational. It must be connected to someone. Henry Nouwen once said, At first sight, joy seems to be connected with being different. When you receive a compliment or win an award, you experience the joy of not being the same as others. You are faster, smarter, more beautiful, and it is that difference that brings you joy. But such joy is very temporary. True joy is hidden where we are the same as other people, fragile and mortal. It is the joy of belonging to the human race. It is the joy of being with others as a friend, a companion, a fellow traveler. This is the joy of Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. You know, Christmas reminds us that the promised blessing of Isaiah's prophecy is not something that we earned or deserved by our merit. It's not something that's given to us because we're inherently wonderful or supreme and there's something great about us. And yeah, of course God would bless us. But it's the reminder. Christmas is the reminder. Advent is the reminder of the God who came to be with us so that the promise of Isaiah 61 would be fulfilled. And we see this in Jesus himself. We see that God accomplishes this by sending us Jesus Christ. If you look forward to Luke chapter 3, Jesus is already born. 
And he, uh, in Luke 3, is baptized and he's anointed by God. The Spirit of God descends upon him and God speaks his pleasure and commissions Jesus into public ministry just in the same way that Isaiah experienced it as well. Yet Jesus was anointed not only to bring good news, how Isaiah did, as Isaiah proclaims good news in, in, in Isaiah 61, but Jesus himself is the good news. After being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Jesus returns. This is now Luke 4. Jesus returns to Nazareth, his hometown. And on the Sabbath day there, he stands in the synagogue as for, for worship. And they hand him a, a piece of scripture to read for public worship. And he reads this and does this in Luke 4, 17-21. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to me. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so what Jesus is saying is what was prophesied centuries ago, what everybody in Israel was waiting for, for the fulfillment of, in hope of, Jesus was saying, it's now here. The restoration, the transformation, the revolution has begun. God's promise to bring forth wholesale rescue is here. Jesus, as he sat before them, was here to make that happen. What makes this whole scene in Luke 4 very interesting is Jesus quotes from Isaiah 61 and says, all this prophecy, all this hope you have for a restoration of your people and this this nation uh, back to God, that God will take care of those who are struggling and suffering. What's interesting about this, this part in Luke 4 is the response of the people and what actually happens afterward. Because as Jesus uh, tells them, this is what's going to happen, I, it's being fulfilled as I sit before you today, they respond, these group of, this group of Nazarene, uh, Nazareans, they respond to Jesus and say, well, then do your miracles. Do the things that we've heard about. Turn the water into wine. Right? Uh, do all these different things that we know you can do. And, and in fact, if anything, start building your army to overthrow Rome. Show your might. Show your power. If you're the one sent from God to come and save, then why, not, why aren't you doing that right now? And yet, as we often see in Scripture, Jesus is not pressured, nor does he kowtow to the expectations of others. There's a rhyme and a reason to everything he does. And so when Jesus doesn't respond to them the way that they desire, by the end of chapter 4, they've driven him out of town. They've taken him to a cliffside, and they're trying to actually murder Jesus by throwing him off a cliff. All this goes to show that Jesus' unwillingness to respond to them on their terms of their immediate needs led to their rejection of him. And that's a constant theme you see throughout the life of Jesus, where people don't receive him or understand him because they simply want him to come to them on their terms. 
We struggle with this today, don't we? You know, especially if you're a believer and, and someone who understands who Jesus is and what he's here to do. We struggle with this in a year like 2020 because it's hard to believe that Jesus has sometimes fulfilled all the things that he says in Luke 4, the way he quotes Isaiah 61, and then we look around us and go, hmm, I don't know. It doesn't seem like Isaiah 61 is coming true right now. And Jesus says it's being fulfilled or was fulfilled, especially after the cross. I don't see it being fulfilled. And, and, and for a lot of us, it's just hard to believe that. Because it's not being fulfilled in the way I think it should be fulfilled or the way I think it should look. And in fact, for some of us, maybe you're tempted to even push Jesus away, just as the Israelites did in Luke 4. Because he's not doing it based on your terms. You know, what we fail to real, recognize in all of this is that everything that's promised in Isaiah is not just something that's going to happen the way we want it, but it's something that has already been happening, and it's already happened now. Because in Christ, it all comes true. By his life, death, and resurrection, and as he continues to reign, it's already begun. It's already happened. You might not see it the way you want to see it, but it's happening. Because by faith in Christ, the imprisoned are being set free today. It's by faith in Christ that we can be set free from shame, from guilt, from hatred, from fear. You are, and you are being liberated. You don't need to be imprisoned by your past or by your emotions because Christ has taken that for you. He's gone through it for you. And yes, there are people who are in jail for unjust reasons. And yes, we desire for their liberation. There are people who are being systematically oppressed for different reasons, whether it's for race or class or religion. And yes, we desire and long for them to experience freedom. This doesn't mean that, uh, that there is no justice, though, because God is already bringing it forth in Christ. It's just not the way you perhaps think it should look. Maybe you don't have the great wealth you desire. And yet at the same time in Christ, you, do you understand the guaranteed inheritance of heaven that is yours? The riches beyond compare and the fact that God supplies every single need. You are wealthy beyond compare. Wealthier than, than Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates because you have Christ. This world is still filled with injustice, of course, and unrighteousness. And it will still one day stand in judgment to come. But justice and righteousness are still being served and have been served in Jesus. Because the verdict is in. The cross tells us the verdict is in. The judgment has been rendered. Christ received the punishment for you. And he gave you his perfect record. Not only declaring your innocence, but declaring your righteousness. And none of this is deserved for us. None of this is something we, we have earned. It's freely given to us by God's grace. And this is why Christmas, especially, this is why Advent, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, is a source and should be and can be a source of supreme joy for each and every one of us. Because Jesus was not, was, was not born to live and die for a particular group of people or a particular class of people. He didn't come in competition or in condemnation of us. 
to stand over us and say, you should get it together and be like me. But he came and he intrudes and invades our world so that we might be saved. So that the judgment would be handed down and taken care of before a final, final judgment has ever been rendered. The God of all heaven and earth, the creator and sustainer, that he would come in order to rescue. He comes by love and grace and mercy. He comes as a baby, not as a warrior king, wiping out the enemies and those dwelling in their evil. But instead, he, he comes with a message of a proclamation of hope, of peace, and of joy, calling upon those to come and receive him. Jesus came to save us and to reverse the curse of sin and death so that the poor would be enriched, so that the brokenhearted would be comforted, so that the imprisoned would be freed. And all of this is an act of pure, undeserved grace, freely given, generously lavished. God's divine intrusion into our world is proof that God's favor, God's favor is always upon those who trust in Christ. And that's why not just how 2020, not just 2020 is a year of God's favor, but every year you follow Jesus, every year you trust by faith in Christ and are a disciple of him, you are in a year of his favor. Because pandemics and social and political turmoil cannot undo what Christ has come to do. All these things will come and go. This earth shall fade. But Isaiah 61.7 reminds us our joy can be eternal. It is eternal in Christ. And so on this Advent Sunday, let Christ be your source, source of true joy. Not because you have come to God, but because God has come to us. Let's pray. Father, as we remember that Christ is our one true comfort, our one true hope, and our one true source of joy in this season, Father, we, would you lead our hearts to rejoice despite what we see around us, despite even what we feel within us, for, Lord, we know that your joy is eternal. It is everlasting. And it is not something that dwells from within. It is given to us and, and bequeathed to us by Christ that we might be able to always have a song to sing, a shout of delight that Jesus has loved us and saved us by his grace and that there is nothing that can take that away. Lord, we know that this world and its evils and its sins, that Satan all these things can take away our health. It can take away our, our wealth. It can take away um, all the things that we find happiness perhaps in. But Lord, it cannot take our joy in Christ. And so we, we give thanks to you, Lord, for that on this day. Lord, help us to always seek and long for it in Jesus as we look to him, our one true source of delight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.